place that has been set aside for your glory, for worshiping you. I pray that our hearts will be directed to you. I pray that your spirit would remove the distractions that we have brought with us, that we would set aside our cares, our concerns, our stresses, even our loves, even the ways that our hearts are finding joy. God, I pray that you would have us set aside those joys that are not centered on you so that we would leave this place clinging to the victory that you have given the world through Jesus. I pray in his name that you would not let us squander this opportunity to see you in your majesty, in your glory, in your splendor, and leave changed by your grace, your mercy, and your love. And do all of this for the glory and the praise of Jesus Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated for tonight's scripture reading. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying as it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? <clears throat> The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is, is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. I am Pastor Daniel, and at this point, I've been given the privilege by you, by you sitting here, to speak the Word of God into your life. It truly is an honor to do this. Tonight we're going to talk about clinging to victory, and this week has been a challenging week for me, and tonight's message is especially sweet for me as well as I felt defeated this week many times because my schedule did not go as planned. I felt defeated in many other ways too, where the plans I had for the day were shot by 
extenuating circumstances. But I stand before you today victorious because Jesus Christ is alive and I am in him. Nobody likes to lose, right? Don't raise your hand if you do. We'll make fun of you. But nobody really likes to lose. We're, we're hardwired as humans to win. As much as our t-ball teams try to make everyone a winner by having no winners or losers, there's still within us a desire to know who won. What's the score, Dad? Who, who won the game? The desire to win in and of itself, I don't believe, is something evil. But that desire can lead us to do things that are questionable or, in fact, evil. Speaking of nobody liking to lose, Friday night was a tough night for New York City sports. The Rangers were in Game 7 of the conference finals, and they had never lost a Game 7 in Madison Square Garden. That's the hockey team, for those of you who don't know. All they had to do was handle business like they'd done several times before. Yet they lost, 2-0. to zero. And fans all over New York and abroad were deflated. It didn't stop there, though. Matt Harvey was pitching for the Mets, the Dark Knight himself, Batman. He doesn't lose, and he was playing the Marlins of all teams. They're terrible. But he lost, and the Mets lost, 4-3. to three. But we've got the Yankees. Not Friday night we didn't. I don't follow them as closely, so I don't know the glorious details of that game. But we did lose 6-2 if you're a Yankees fan. We put all of our stock, or not all of our stock, but we put stock in these teams and we root for them. We find pleasure when they win. We hurt when they lose. Friday night was a bad night as far as sports goes. Why do we seek victory? Why is it that we strive to find ourselves victorious over others? I think uh, we, we've seen several weeks as we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we are tonight. You can find your ways in the, in your, you can find your spot in the Bible there, 1 Corinthians 15. We've seen Paul draw, who's the author of 1 Corinthians, back to the book of Genesis. And he's shown us how God originally created things. And how the the fall created this distance between us and between God, and how Jesus has come and restored that connection with God. I think the reason, is everyone getting the emergency signal right now? Yeah, my phone's going off in my pocket right now too, so I think it's okay. It's a flash flood warning probably. We'll be okay. I think what Paul is drawing back to in, in Genesis is he is showing us that even in victory, we can find that God did not originally create us to lose. He created us to have harmony with himself, harmony with one another. It's built upon God designing a perfect world that worked together for good. But humans, we messed it up and we chose to rebel against God. And since then, we have had a common enemy. The enemy is not the Tampa Bay Lightning, it's not the Miami Marlins, and it's not the Oakland A's. The enemy that all of us face, that every human faces, is death. This is something that we as humans crave victory over. And the reason we crave that is because God did not originally create us 
for death. God has designed us to live in His victory. And through Jesus, He has given us a way back to victory over death. He's given us a way to find triumph over the sin of the world and the things that drag us down in life. He gives us victory in the future at the resurrection, but He also gives us victory right here, right now. So tonight we're going to see three ways in how we cling to victory. The first one is we take off self, we put on Christ or Jesus. And the third one is we live in victory. Let's look at the first one. We put off self or we take off self. This is a, an odd concept if you think about it, taking off yourself. It doesn't mean that you are going to start living untrue to who you are. But it means that the way you currently are, the way our bodies currently are functioning, will not find victory over death. There must be a change that happens to our current selves. Last week we saw that we cling to transformation, and the only way that we can be transformed is not by doing something different ourselves, but by having the Spirit of God transform us so that our inner beings are actually totally changed. This passage tonight that Emily read talks about an instant transformation that is going to happen that will change the reality of who we are and also what we consist of. Look with me in verses 15, or chapter 15, verse 50 and 51. Paul says, I tell you this, brothers... Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Changed. Transformation. Our current selves cannot exist in this new creation that God has before us. The term flesh and blood in the previous verse, in verse 50, confuses people at, at first glance many times because we think, oh wait, I thought Paul said that we were to be resurrected with flesh and blood. And this is saying flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying that it won't be flesh and blood physicalness. What he is saying is the material, what we are running on ourselves, is made of the wrong stuff, if you will. It's not made of what is needed in order for us to live in victory over death. So he's saying there's something within us. There's this rebellion against God. There are these bodies that the older we get, the, the more they decay, they perish, they will eventually die. All of these things make our current bodies unfit for God's kingdom of heaven. So the current self will, will die. It will, it will go away. So we want to take that self off. God has to put on a new self in the new world, and Jesus has already started that project. He's the prototype. We talked about that last week. He's the first one, the first fruits, and we will be like him. But our current self must be taken off. We live in a world of selfies, don't we? A lot of people find joy in taking selfies, and we highlight our restaurants, our vacations. We highlight when we're with someone we love or when we're just having a good time at a party. We want to show people how much fun we're having. 
We like to post a selfie. We usually celebrate something. That's why we do it. We do that for our own glory. We might not say we do it for our glory. We may say, well, I just want people to know I'm having fun and to say how awesome I look in my new shirt and my nice haircut. I want people to, to like my picture, but I don't want glory. Actually, we, we do want a form of glory. That's what that is. We're wanting admiration from others. But even at the best moment of these lives, the best selfie, the best celebration we will ever have, it's temporary. It doesn't last. It doesn't go throughout eternity. In fact, the only thing that will be left of these bodies one day will be the photos. And that scares me. Some photos I wish would go away. I mentioned that two weeks ago. But they're here to stay. And all there's going to be are memories that other people tell about us. Unless, unless there's a resurrection. Paul is saying that we will all be changed. He said we may not all die, and, but we will all be changed. And it's possible that Paul was thinking that he would be alive when Christ returned to establish his kingdom forever. But he says we will not all die, but everyone will be changed. The dead will rise new, and those alive will be transformed and changed and be like the Lord. So he's saying something from where we are right now has to change. He's saying it's time to take off yourself. So if you take something away, we've got to give you something. So number two is this. Put on Jesus. The first one is take off self. The second one is put on Jesus. Taking off self doesn't mean that we're no longer concerning ourselves with ourselves. It just means that we are not consumed with our thoughts. Our priorities are no longer ourselves. Our changes Uh, changes in our priorities happen. We no longer desire to build a kingdom of selfies to pass down to someone else, but we desire to put the Lord first and have His priorities shape our lives. So we put on Jesus. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So one day, this is the resurrection. Our bodies are going to be transformed. We're no longer going to be running on the same fuel that we're running on right now with the same limitations that our bodies have now we're going to be transformed into non-corruptible, undecaying material so that we become people over whom death has no more control. We will become a people over whom death has no more control. This is what happens at the resurrection, and it should absolutely change the way we live. And I wonder if you are living today with death having control over you. I asked myself this question and it made me think of other questions. Do I stay away from going on the mission field because I'm afraid of flying 
or I'm afraid of going somewhere dangerous and losing my life. If I am, then death has control over me at some point. Do I not help someone in need because I perceive them to be a threat for my life? If I do, then at some point, death has control over me. But it may not go that far. It may just be as simple as this. Do I keep my faith private because I don't want people to think less of me and I don't want my social life to die? Maybe that has control over me. Or maybe I withdraw from others because they're too needy and I don't want my life stolen by people who are always asking and asking and asking. Maybe something that's related to death has control over me. Because if I'm thinking along those lines, I'm thinking this is my one shot, like Eminem. You only got one shot, so don't miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes within a lifetime. Yo. If I am asking those questions and it is really having that much of an effect on me, then death is having control over me because I am thinking I only have so much time to soak up what it is that I'm wanting to enjoy before it's over. But the resurrection says, this is not all there is. In fact, the best of the best here is nothing compared to the resurrected life. Jesus lived a selfless life. Instead of wasting time fantasizing about his next vacation or a new job or better relationships with others, he spent time praying to the Father and seeking God's will to be done in his life. He chose to give his life as a ransom for the world. You see, we were broken. We are broken. We were needy. We still are needy. And we didn't even realize how bad we really were. But God became like us. And he lived very differently. And in return, we killed him. Even when he saw death coming, Jesus did not cower in fear and run away. But he trusted the Father all the way to death on the cross. He saw death coming. He got a picture of it early on in his ministry. It wasn't at the Garden of Gethsemane when he knew. He knew much, uh, much longer before than that. And he didn't spend the rest of his time checking off things on his bucket list. He gave every ounce of his being, and he spent it on the kingdom of God. He invested his life into his twelve disciples, into his closest of followers. He took off his self. He submitted himself to the Father, and we are to take off self and to put on Jesus. And the third thing is that we are to live in victory. Take off self, put on Jesus, and we're to live in victory. See, the promise of death being defeated changes everything about how we live right now. Too many times we Christians have said, you know what, the resurrection is coming, so I'm just going to kind of huddle up over here and wait for that to happen because there's nothing I can do about the world. But that is the exact opposite of what Paul was telling the Christians to do. He's saying, if it doesn't change your life right now, then you're not understanding what Jesus has done for you. Look with me in verse 55. He says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul is quoting Isaiah 25 that Pastor Larry read a few moments ago. He's also quoting Hosea 13. And he's saying that death looms over all of us. It's our common enemy. But one day, that death will have no more power. In fact, even now, death holds only a temporary power over us since it's not to be feared for the Christian because of the resurrection. Paul said earlier in a, or in a different letter, he said to live is Christ and to die is actually gain. So when we die, we will somehow be in the presence of the Lord forever. The sting of death is no more. Death has no more victory. And at the resurrection, that prophecy will be completely true for all of us. How do we know that death is really lost? That answers in verse 57. He says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus faced our enemy of death for us, and He killed it. He faced our enemy of death for us, and He killed it. Larry and I were talking this week at the, on Monday, and our next sermon series starts next week. And the, the series title is called Simply Jesus. This one was called Resurrection. The next several weeks, and th- throughout June, July, and August, we're going to be going through Colossians, and it says simply Jesus. Week after week, we're going to see how Paul and how we find everything that our souls long for in this one person, the Son of God, Jesus. He is our answer. Peter was preaching, the apostle Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 2, a very powerful sermon. 3,000 people were rescued from death on that day. They trusted in Christ as their Lord. They were victorious over death. And he said this in chapter 2, verse 23. He says, This Jesus, He delivered, or delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This Jesus crowd, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But guess what? God raised Him from the dead, freeing Him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Him. We see Jesus. The victory that God gave Him. In some ways, death seemed to have victory over Him because He did die. His heart stopped beating. His lungs stopped breathing. He took a last breath. It was over. He was dead. He was gone. There was weeping. People lost hope and they ran away from Him. Certainly He has failed because we thought He was the Messiah and now He is dead. His body too was perishable. His body was broken beyond human ability to heal. But the death of Jesus wasn't a victory for death. It seemed to have won, but God raised the body of Jesus back to life. It went from imperishable 
It went from perishable to imperishable. From undecay, or decaying to undecaying. No longer did His body operate under the rule of sin and death, but it ran and flourished and lived by the Spirit of God Himself. Never to see death again. Death actually lost on that first Easter morning. Jesus' death was the death of death. Death, now where is your victory? Where is your sting? I took all you had, Jesus said. You hit me with the best shot. You gave all you had. And it wasn't enough. Because God has raised me from the dead. You have lost your battle. So what does that mean for us right now? Would you like some good news to send us home tonight? Would you like to walk in victory? Does it mean that we should sit back and wait for the resurrection? Say no. Manu's got it. No. Does it mean that we should get all we could possibly get right now because this is our one shot? No. Does it mean that we should withdraw from this decaying and dangerous world because it is dangerous, right? Just ride the subway if you don't believe me. It's a dangerous world. Does it mean we should withdraw from the world? and wait for the resurrection. Say no. No. Some of you said no to saying no. Paul finishes up this chapter not like we think he would. The whole thing he set up, he said, look, this great resurrection is coming. It's coming for you. And so our natural inclination is to think, praise God, there's this big hope that's coming. I'm just going to bunker over here and wait for it. Because I believe with all my heart. But that's not what he said. Look in the very last verse of this chapter. He says the opposite of that. He says, therefore, because of all of this I've shared with you about the resurrection, that death is defeated, that Jesus is raised from the dead, and that too is the promise for those who believe. He says, therefore, because of all of this, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. As that verse stays up there, Look at it closely. He uses the word steadfast. He didn't say sit back and think on how it's going to be one day. I want you guys to go off to a lake house somewhere and just live there forever and think upon the beauty of what heaven's going to be like. That's not what he said. He said, I want you to be steadfast. I want you to fully devote your lives to the work of the Lord. Steadfast means I want you to be firmly fixed on it. Don't change. Stay firmly fixed on the word of the Lord or the work of the Lord. He says, I want you to be immovable. That doesn't mean stubborn, okay, that we don't accept rebuke from people, but it means unshakable. Be immovable, because your faith is in Christ. That's where our faith is. It's not in an idea, but it's in a person. And then he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And that abounding means to be full, to be overflowing in the work of the Lord. So he was saying, guys, you've got work to do. And guess what? You have the power to do it. Because death has lost its sting. You have victory over death. The resurrection changes the way we live. Those who belong to Christ have already received victory over death. The ultimate victory for the world is to come. And this victory empowers us to go out 
and to live these lives without fear. We can rush in to the people who are hurting without fear of hurting ourselves. We can go to the unreached places and, and tell them the Gospel of Jesus without true fear of losing our lives. We can get on airplanes or trains or wherever it may be and go to where people are hurting and take the Gospel to them without fear of death. And if we're not willing to do that, we're not clinging to victory. We're clinging to something else. We're clinging to something temporary. And when we do that, we lose the power of God. When we are not clinging to Jesus, we will live powerless lives. I wish I knew who said this. But someone said, if the Holy Spirit left the American church, about 98% of the work of the church would continue on as if nothing ever happened. So much of what we do, we do because we are clinging to ourselves and our own power, and we are not clinging to the victory that God has given us in Jesus. So the answer to cling to victory tonight, how do we do that? How do we live a victorious life? It's simply Jesus. Simply Jesus. The Lord says, take off yourself. Stop clinging to yourself. Put on Jesus and live in the victory that I have given to you. And I will do great things through you for my glory and also for your own. That's my challenge for the week. For me. So much of my life, I do by my own, my own power. And it wears me out. I am trying to put that to death. And I am trying to submit myself and be filled with the Spirit of God so that I can stop wasting this one chance to glorify God and to give this life for Him. And I can see the peace and the love and the truth and the grace of God flourish in here and out there. Do you want to be part of that? Then cling to victory with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for showing me this week how I do not cling to Your victory. Thank You for giving me the freedom to share that with my brothers and sisters in here. Thank You for the power that You do give us. And I pray that You would show us how we are exchanging eternal significance by clinging to temporary things on this world. Give us joy in the victory that You've given us through Christ. Give us value in the victory that You've given us through Christ. Give us love in the victory and the worth that You've shown us in Christ. And God, give us freedom to go out and to live to live lives that risk that take risk, and, and not foolish risk, but worthy risks, that we give our lives because we know that You have already given Your life, and we have true life through Jesus. Take away our fear. Show us how You have defeated our enemy of death. And may we love You with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength as we cling to victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And may all the thanks and glory be to You. Amen. Amen. Tonight we have an opportunity to respond.
to what God has been speaking to your life. There's a couple of different things um, that you can respond by. The first is we're going to celebrate communion. Communion is a time of remembering this victory. It is looking at Christ on the cross in his suffering, seeing his broken body, seeing the blood that was spilled on our behalf. And it is not looking downcast, but it's lifting our heads because in the crucifixion, Christ died to defeat death forever. So tonight, the first way that you can respond is by coming forward, placing your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, by communing with brothers and sisters in Christ and communing with the Father. Communion at Connection Church um, is you can come down the aisle and there will be a plate of bread. You take a piece of bread and the words will be spoken to you. This is Christ's body, which was broken for you. You can step over to the cup and the words will be spoken. This is Christ's blood poured out for you as a new covenant. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul pointed out this one little phrase about the law. He said that the law is what gives sin its power. Do you feel sometimes like sin has power over you? Paul says, that's because it does. God gave the law for us to see our sinfulness. And and when we see it, it takes hold of us. Through guilt, through shame, through greed, through self-mutilation, all these different ways that, that sin has power over us. But the key to clinging to victory is to understanding that in the new covenant the law has no power because Christ came and in a way that none of you and I ever could fulfilled the law so sin has no power over him and when we commune with him we are found in him and sin has no power over you that is the freedom of the new covenant that we invite you to participate in tonight. If you are losing in your life, I invite you to come, kneel at these cushions, and pray before God your Father, who is running towards you with open arms, willing and ready to be merciful to your hurting soul. Confess that sin has had power over you and then turn to Jesus at the cross in communion. After we pray, I invite you to respond by communing with God, by praying here at this altar. And finally, I'll be standing over here if you would like someone to pray with you out loud. I would be honored to do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to make the law and sin powerless. To defeat death 
once and for all. So that as death reaches, reaches up through the ground to claim our bodies, it cannot grasp our souls when they are found in you. May the power of eternal resurrection that you have given us in salvation rest on our souls tonight. Where we have anxieties and stresses and burdens, would you give us comfort and joy and your yoke, which is easy, and your burden, which is light. We celebrate and honor you tonight as our Father who shows mercy. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.